Okay, so welcome to the session of the 27th of April 2019. And we've been talking about is the ability to return to an internal state of repose, take repose into the internal state, which is really the only thing that you can ultimately rely on. It's great to have all these other things if you can. Good, good, do it. But don't assume that any one of those things is going to be always reliable to be. I mean, take your health is a classic case. For as long as you've got your health, you don't even think about your health. It's when your health starts to falter that you think, uh-oh, you know? So you've got, so what are we doing here? We're preparing ourselves. We're building a foundation which is, that will endure any change in the external, external environment, any change in the external circumstances. That's what we're really building. That's why we get, we can attain peace from this because we're creating something that will be there. If we, if we practice enough, and you remember I was talking about this idea of equanimity, that if you can return to that state of the internal peace anytime, then even if bad stuff's happening on the outside, you've at least got somewhere to go where you can take, have some relief. And in the end, I think what someone said this week at a talk, he said the most important commodity is peace and I think that's the reason why because if you've got it and you know you can always return to it that's going to be the ultimate safe haven does that make sense so when we meditate we're actually changing our whole neurology to accommodate and support a state of great Equipoise, peace. See, that's the that's the work they call it. The work we're doing, the real work. The outside work is still work, but it's not. It's temporary. The internal work is is real. Is the real money in the bank? And saying what I was saying before about even if you don't finish your spiritual practices or your self development, whatever you want to call it, in this lifetime. It's the one thing that survives death. You come back again, you don't start again from zero, you start from where you left off. You can't say that about any other aspect of your life, you know, you can't take your money with you. It's completely valueless at the moment you leave, because you're not coming back into the same circumstance. That's gone. Your whole life's work, I think about my whole life's work, yes, do I make an impact? Sure. But in a hundred years' time, or even less, no one will remember anything that we did in this life. Very unlikely, unless you become, you know, Julius Caesar or, you know, one of those rare individuals, Mother Teresa, some of those people will endure. But by and large, the likelihood of anyone remembering anything you've done in one or two generations from now is going to be negligible. So, so therefore, how much effort do you want to put into that, making a name for yourself? Mm. But this is what the ego is telling you all this stuff. It's saying, you know, the political ego, what about your legacy? This is the big fixation in politics. Your legacy. As if anyone will care. As if they care. Yeah, exactly. 
Eckhart Tolle says a great thing. He goes, in two generations from now, your photograph will show up in someone's photo album and someone will point out that person being you and they'll say, who's that? Who was that? And the other person will go, I don't know. <laughs> so that's just putting things in perspective. So therefore, those are your alternatives, basically, is that you can put a whole lot of time and effort and emotion into constructing an edifice that may or may not support you. This is not an argument against not saving, working hard, creating as much stability as you can. But understand that <clears throat> the ultimate security is in the investment in the internal state of peace, because that will always come to your aid. And I think even people that have Alzheimer's, you know, I've seen people, their minds are starting to go. But you wonder whether there's some refuge in there, some part of them. The last thing to leave, maybe, is just that sense of being. I kind of think that's what it would be, that you would still have an awareness of being. Even after you've lost all your memories, and you can't name things, and you can't do anything intellectually, there must still be just the pure awareness is there. And the ironic thing is that's the one thing that we're really trying to cultivate. While we've got all the abilities, we're consciously going into that state. And we're, we're knowing it, we're understanding that state. So if they took everything else away from you, you would have so much more um, <clears throat> development or establishment in that state. Because what are we doing? We're learning about it now. They say, you know, it's too late to dig the well when the house is on fire. You know how people sometimes that their lives change when they get sick or they, something, some catastrophe happens and then they realise that they've been missing the big picture, you know, the main point. And they suddenly change, everything changes. But, you know, if you're 70 years old when that happens, you don't have a lot of time left to actually, you know, perfect that work. So why not start now? Do the work, start now. You know, when Socrates was um, sentenced to death by the authorities in Athens on the charge of um, corrupting the minds of the young. So one of the greatest philosophers, but obviously the power structures didn't like what he was doing, giving young people the ability to think critically, to think independently, which is what we should be doing too. So they sentenced him to death and he had to drink hemlock. And his disciples gathered around him and they said, Master, aren't you, aren't you concerned, aren't you worried about what's going to happen? And he said, no. He said, I've been preparing for this moment all my life. In the sense of this idea of self-knowledge and this, this invincibility. The through the investment in the practices. And the investment in the inquiry and the question, who am I? That's, that's a cumulative process. It started from the time you started to first get interested in this kind of stuff, even before you came here. 
when you started to first ask the questions, there's got to be more to it than this. That's when the work began. So that's, that's what we do. That's what you do. And then eventually you'll get to, when we go into that state of meditation, there is such a sense of certainty there, I think. There's a sense of knowing beyond the intellectual knowing. That's the truth that reveals itself to you, is the power of presence. And that's the thing that really you're cultivating. So. So I have good news and bad news. Bad news is the world's going to go on. The good news is the world's going to go on. You know, but it's what you make of it. That's the key, isn't it? And then, imagine fast forward into to a state of your own of your own evolution where you are now a more more highly evolved version of yourself. Can you imagine what that person would be like? So it's you, it's still you, but you're not anxious anymore about anything. Nothing upsets you. It's still you. You still know everything you know, but there is this deep sense of peace that pervades you, never leaves you, and everyone around you feels it as well. Can you imagine that person? You get glimpses of it now, but I'm saying that's continuous day. And we look upon others, and at some level you, you, you see yourself in them. At some level, you look beyond the apparent differences, but you see some continuity there between you and all of life. When you're in nature, you don't feel any boundary between you and nature anymore. That the whole thing just merges and there's just this continuous field of awareness. But it's still you. The observer that sees is the same one that you've always known. And, uh, and, and every day you, there's a spring in your step and you get out of bed and there's just joy. Because you're not, there's no fear anymore still you. It's this version of you that has done a little more work, has spent a few more hours or hundreds of hours in the deep meditative state, that you feel that you've changed at some really deep level. <coughs> and, um, and there's no struggle anymore, no grasping. And there's just a tremendous sense of acceptance and peace. And there's the voice of the ego isn't there anymore. It might be there, but it doesn't. It's, it's got no power. So you're you're making the decision. That's 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 sort of a preview of what the better version of you might be like. It's if you took the best, if you took you as your best now, if you could isolate attributes of yourself that you think are you in the highest expression of who you can be. And every day I'm sure there are periods where that will already be there. 
and you expand that out until that becomes the totality of you. And you've and so they asked the Dalai Lama what did he gain from meditation? And he said, Well, I can't really say what I've gained, but he can and he said, I can tell you what I've lost. I've lost fear, I've lost thought, yeah, anxiety, I've lost you know, and it goes through the list of all the things, all the things that would normally pull you down. He said, that's what I've lost. That's essentially what we're talking about. So the better version of you, you have to hold that there as an ideal. Be that one now. And do that by just releasing all these other tendencies. They're just tendencies of mind. You can release them. You don't need them anymore. They've served their purpose. Fear has served its purpose. Anxiety was only there to tell you that you were out of harmony, that you were, you were not being true in your center. That's the only reason anxiety came. It was a signal to say, hey, you're out of sync with where you need to be. So I'm going to make you feel anxious to make, to force you to change, to see things differently. And then you can thank it and say, well, okay, I appreciate that, but I don't, now I don't need you anymore. So pick a tendency that you've got that you'd like to lose, that you feel is holding you back, and inquire into its nature. Why is it there? What are you trying to show me? Remember, it's you, the world is the mirror anyway. What is it showing you? Um, at times, though, like anxiety um, and self-doubt and all those horrible feelings, um, that would be nice not to feel it. But um, those feelings can kind of propel you to do better and to, do you know? So is That's it... what I'm saying. They can, but once you've done better... You don't need to be reminded You don't anymore. need that. You just learn how to be better without the anxiety. You just are better. Yeah, you just... That's sort of like a, they're the trainer wheels. Mm. Like if you're living fully consciously, you don't need to be anxious to perform well. You just perform well. Mm. Anxiety is just showing you that you were not in the groove that was the optimum. It's sort of like when you're not in the, how can I say this? Any form of conflict is just a signal that you're not in the flow. The degree of conflict is the indicator of how much out of the flow that you are. The more anxious you are, the more disconnected you are from where you need to be. The moment you bring yourself back into alignment, those modifiers, those signals don't need to be, they've done their work. So these, all these negative attributes are just um, indicators of a lack of alignment. Sometimes it's difficult to know how to bring yourself back into alignment though. Stop trying is one thing. Stop, I mean, that's right, that's a good observation. Uh, one, or one way is trial and error. Try it a different way. Does that reduce the anxiety? 
Does that increase the performance? Does that give you more harmony, more peace? Those are, these are the tests. So you're constantly changing the instrumentation, the dials. You're trying to optimize the flow, the position of being within this frame. You, um, what I'm saying is all these negative indicators are the signals that you're out of sync. And they're pretty unmistakable. It's just that we don't interpret them right. We're looking at them going, that's anxiety, we put labels on them. Whereas in fact, maybe a better way is to just say this is just a signal without wanting to label it, because you don't want to give it too much power. Without labeling it, why don't we just say, this is just this feeling of disease or Ill, being ill at ease. It's just a signal that I'm not in, in sync with where I need to be. So what needs to change? That's the inquiry. That's a, that's, that's, a, that's a mature mind that is starting to um, <clears throat> Now I get anxious now, I, I stop and say why? Right. Well it's Pull the same. Up and just go, why? Yeah. Well that, you're doing what I'm saying, I mean that, that's the point is that you're... Because you you're, you're in there before you actually realise that, that, that it's happened. And it's not like there's a warning. I don't get a warning. It's just all of a sudden I'll start thinking, oh my God, why? <laughs> so then you bring yourself back to the moment. Yep. You, exactly that. You notice what's happening. See, the very fact that you recognise you're anxious is already one step out of the anxiety. But, but does what, it ever stop? Yeah, it stops. What is it that's anxious? It's only an ego that's making you think that something should be different from how it is. That you can't control it, and so the ego has no control. When the ego feels like it has no control, that's anxiety. Hmm. But stop thinking you're the ego. <laughs> the moment you start to de-identify with the thing that's getting anxious, the anxiety goes. There's no, there's no foundation for it. You've taken the oxygen away. This is the key. You've got to. This is, this is really the, the one of the. Remember, I was telling you about life hacks. So what were the two? You've already forgotten. No, I haven't. <laughs> anyway, they were for you, not me. <laughs> you should I be. Them. You should remember. <laughs> I've forgotten. Them. <laughs> if you want to change the external world, then you've got to change the internal state. And the other one was what? Try less. If things aren't working, try backing off. Mm. Okay. Not too hard. So, so another one. So the third one is, if you feel like you're being attacked by the egoic mind, by anxiety, by all these things, just stop. Take stock. Return to the moment, to the present. And ask the question, what is it that I'm not seeing here that's giving rise to these feelings? Is the ego involved in this? What's the ego, the voice of the ego telling me right now and is it true? And what if it wasn't true and what if I could move myself out of that and return to a state of just stillness for a while? You know, my daughter rang me last night from Norway She's had a, an issue with her property that she's renting in France. And uh, someone's a guarantor of that, and, she, and there was some issue around that. Anyway, we had to workshop it. 
And initially, you know, it was concerning. But by bringing just a little bit of dispassionate analysis, taking the emotion out of the situation and just saying, okay, what can be done here? Not freaking out. And eventually you get to the solution. You know, but, but the voice of the ego is the thing that's going, yeah, it's all, everything's not working out like it should. And fear is there and you know, all that heavy stuff is there. It, it doesn't help you. It's only there to get your attention. Remember when my foot was broken? I said, okay, I know you saw, I know you're hurting. I'm going to take you to the hospital and we'll get this sorted out. And then the pain went. Right? It's the same, mental pain is the same thing. You have to acknowledge it. So you're not repressing or denying anything. You're acknowledging it, but you're saying, okay, I, I hear you. There's, there's a problem here. Let's acknowledge it now. Let's go and de-escalate the emotional state, return to the breath, return to the moment. Breathe. Things are never as bad as what the mind makes them seem. And the mind often will make things seem worse than they are. So let's just de-escalate all that and come back in and just see what can be done. So these are just, are these yoga skills? I don't know. It's all returning to the stillness, so I guess in the end it is yoga. But do you understand that once you understand the ego, this is the key, this is the most empowering thing that you're going to learn, is that you are not the ego. You are not that. That you are not that that fears. You are not that that doubts. You are not that that, that that your true state, that your eternal state, that the most essential aspect of you is beyond fear, beyond doubt, beyond all of these things. So return to that. That is that is who you are. The world will change. Sure, you might get sick. You might even die one day. Probably you will. You know, bad stuff is going to happen to the body and to things will happen. What to do? As the Indians would say, what to do? Be, equip yourself for those times of challenge by becoming grounded established in that which does not change and therein is your freedom your liberation that's the call to action so that's a good place to stop so we can probably meditate now any questions does it make sense it's just putting things in perspective really seeing things for what they are the ego is such a tricky beast. You know, even every time you say I, what, what are you talking about? What are you referring to? If it's, is it the big I or the little I? There's a good question to think about. Okay. Ego is like a like it's a bit like a, a drug sort of when you feed it 
it can gives you the most like exciting highs mm-hmm. but when you're feeding the ego too much then you notice like very tangible negative impacts to you like anxiety and like it's like it's like the worst thing for you but feels so good when you're yeah on a ego high so it's really like horrible yeah it'd be like being on methamphetamine yeah it's the meth of the mind mm. ice it is it's addictive i mean the illusion of being caught in ego is the most addictive tendency that we've got and you know i mean fair enough this is a pretty powerful illusion the fact that i'm just this body and this mind is a very hard reality to refute everything in you is telling you that this is real if you hit your thumb with a hammer there's no escaping the fact that sure feels real right so within the construct of mind body it's like when you're in a dream i had this horrible dream this morning that a baboon jumped on my back from up high. There were three baboons and they were up on a wall, say 20 foot above me. And the one, the middle one, the most aggressive one with the big fangs, jumps down 20 foot and grabs onto me like this. <coughs> In the dream, I think I was lucid dreaming because I knew it was a dream, <coughs> but it was extremely unpleasant. And I was thinking, what does this symbolize? I've got a monkey on my back. The moment I woke up, I threw it off consciously. I said, I don't know what that was, but I don't want it anymore. But you know, when you are within the reality of that mind state, it seems absolutely real. It will trigger emotional reactions. So what if this is the dream as well? And that's essentially the point is that ego is the drug that lures you into the belief that this world samsara, this state of worldliness, is the, is the reality, is the only reality. Ego is the drug that we collectively drink of, that we're living in this shared dream. Right? And all we're doing when we're meditating and doing this other stuff is that we're waking up. I and mean, if you saw this as, and remember that story of King Lavana where he's a king and then he's a beggar alternately day and night, day and night and he's freaking out because he doesn't know which is the reality and then Vasishta says, oh great king, neither is real you are, this, you are just consciousness these are both different movements that are occurring within the same consciousness right, so, but the ego is the drug that convinces you that this reality is the only reality and that you are therefore a victim caught within the play of your own dream and you are powerless these are the words of the, you, you are powerless you're the victim you're at the at the um, mercy of life circumstances and there is no escape and you're going to die and then that's going to be the end of it this is the ego's rhetoric this is the script that it is reading you all the time in your mind and all we're saying is time out, you know, waken from that dream. Understand there is another reality which is more enduring and therefore more real. So my teacher would say, they'd say, what is real? And he'd say, what is real is that which does not change. So what does not change? 
Yeah, it's just the eternal presence. Okay, we're meditating now. Great discussion, thank you.